Hey, Tyler, what is Spawn? Spawn is a comic about a bad man who died and went to hell. He made a deal with the devil to see his wife one more time and in exchange become one of hell's generals. Uh, like any good deal with the devil, he gets screwed and shows up on earth with almost no memory and a new hell body. Uh, he proceeds to go on a journey of self-discovery on what he is and who he was, uh, all the while horrifically murdering bad people in alleyways. Uh, and he carves out a small kingdom for himself uh, amongst the homeless. Uh, he gains the attention of supernatural entities while he is trying to figure out how not to become Hell's Pawn and tells those supernatural entities to get off his lawn in ever-increasing uh, bouts of violence. Hey, Gnome, what is Spawn? Spawn is a living symbiotic weapon suit made in hell that is a weapon in the war between heaven and hell. It is what Todd McFarlane thought Venom would be if there were a theological component to the Venom symbiote in Spider-Man. Hey Ron, what's Spawn? Spawn is a comic from the 90s. It's about a man named Al Simmons, who is a contract killer, who one day while out doing contract mercenary stuff, uh, gets killed. And while he is dead, he is sent to hell because, you know, contract killing is not good for the soul. And he strikes a deal with the devil to be able to see his wife again, Wanda, uh, as long as he works for the devil. Um, he accepts, and so he wakes up uh, some years later, uh, completely burned by the flames of hell, totally disfigured. Um, and from there, he kind of does the bidding of, of Satan. Uh, he has lots of really cool powers, he's very strong, he's very durable. Uh, has a sick set of chains and a, a cape with a mind of its own. It is a deeply 90s character concept. It rules. Tyler is an IT professional and Noam is an educator. And Ron is a security professional, but also probably the smartest man I know. Apart from being the more engaging people I know and remarkably kind people, they are also rabid comic book fans and smart marks. Smart Mark, a phrase I've stolen from my best friend Ron, are the kind of people Raymond Lowy designed for. We like a, a thing that can feel familiar while also inspiring what Immanuel Kant called free play. It's a term you might have heard before, Maya, which is an acronym that stands for Most Advanced Yet Acceptable. Human beings are zealously curious conservatives. I've always thought that the mark of a good critic a good storyteller, a good journalist, all three occupations, vocations, if you will, that I perform is asking a good question. And it's not as easy as many people would like to think it is, or maybe it is as easy as people like to think it is. I just know that there's an entire class that I took in graduate school called research methods. And a big part of that class was learning to ask good 
questions. Find out what you want to know and be very specific about it. So I'm going to try something new here on the RJ Young Show podcast. And that new thing is to ask you, or ask myself as it were, an interesting question, something I just want to chase down. Maybe it's a big idea that has a lot of different answers. And maybe it's a small idea that is only important to me, but you know, I think you might find valuable. That is the reason I would talk to you about it or tell you what I found about it. And it's really another exercise for me to do what I love. Read, consume, and then discuss. Right? Here's what I found after venturing out into the dark. So with that in mind, some questions about Spawn, the animated series. Like, how did Al Simmons become Spawn? How do people feel about the TV show then and now, some 25 years ago? What's the series like really about? And where does it fit in the animated presentation of film, TV? What is the rank for HBO? And most important to me, why is Spawn black? So I started trying to answer this question by asking three of my friends. And if you like this show, please leave a five-star review on your Apple or Spotify account. If for no other reason than this one, this one's good. So I've been dressing up casually, cosplaying as a superhero and supervillains more often than not lately. I've worn a white blazer, black button-up, and purple tie like Kingpin, a gray cap, a yellow hoodie, gray puffer vest, blue jeans, and brown work boots as a nod to Power Man, an organ blood full-length double-breasted wool pea coat beer-colored turtleneck sweater, and dark slate gray slacks as a nod to Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Sometimes I take photos of myself in the mirror to capture this moment of whimsy, levity, fun in my attire, because I believe in this axiom made famous by Dion Primetime Sanders. If you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you play good. And if you play good, they pay good. And I always felt best dressing as a superhero, a supervillain, just super. I've been cosplaying since I was a kid, before I even knew the term cosplay. That I've kept this bit of personality reinforces its meaning in my life and the importance of superhero and supervillain stories in it. On Wednesday, I wore a spawn fit. Black dress, shoes, white slacks, black belt, black button-up, slime green tie, and a scarlet sweater jacket. That was reason enough for me to queue up Spawn, the animated series, a TV show I hadn't seen in over a decade. Why the TV show and not the movie that came out in 1997 too? Because someone still wants me to pay to watch the Spawn movie starring Michael J. White rather than stream it. I don't particularly enjoy and don't really want to watch the Spawn movie again. This is reason enough we're talking about, you know, the animated series. It's cost-benefit analysis and nothing more. Though it bears mentioning Spawn, who was once Al Simmons, Mercenary Supreme, is the first black superhero ever to feature in a major motion picture. One year before, Wesley Snipes featured in Blade. Also, Shaq was in Steel. So the two major black action movie stars to come out before Wesley Snipes also were in god-awful movies, which, you know, doesn't say much for the state of black superheroes. 
The fact serves to illustrate Spawn is one of the most overlooked and most popular black superheroes in history. That juxtaposition merits investigation. So does the idea that the first mainstream superhero or anti-hero broke through as an angry, violent demon monster that fits a retrograde and heinous stereotype of black men. Perhaps it's best to start with why Spawn became an animated TV show in the first place, and that is because the comic book it was based on was a smash hit from the jump. The first issue of uh, excuse me, the first issue of Spawn was terribly popular, selling 1.7 million copies, ranking fifth behind titles featuring Superman, Wildcats, Venom, and Spider-Man. The latter title, which Spawn's creator Todd McFarlane left to create Spawn and co-found the publishing house Image Comics. Spawn's overall idea was good, but its narrative thread was bad. McFarlane isn't a gifted storyteller, but he did enlist men who were to guess right issues, including Alan Moore, Frank Miller, and Neil Gaiman. McFarlane claimed to have forged this all-star writing group with writer-for-hire contracts when it came to Spawn, but that was disputed and likely changed the comic forever. It's also noteworthy that Image Comics was started so that artists could help the rights, you know, excuse me, could keep the rights to their work. At the time, this was a revolutionary act for labor rights in the industry. That McFarlane would get into trouble acting as an owner rather than labor at Image is kind of a weird twist. Also mighty white at him. Damon gave Spawn a formidable backstory that included the invention of two important comic book figures in Spawn's mentor, Cogliostro, and the bounty hunting Angela, who was an angel, who later became Sister Thor and a part of the Marvel Universe. This is important as we come to the question of why is Spawn black? So stay with me, but let me finish this aside. Damon sued McFarlane when the book became a TV show and the legal battle played out for years. After a decade-long fight in court, a jury decided two issues of Spawn, plus the intellectual property rights to Angela, were Gaiman's. With Angela being Gaiman's creation, she migrated to Marvel, appearing as Thor's long-lost sister. This also is a clue as to why making more Spawn TV shows and movies is legally hard, though not impossible. In Spawn, the animated series, show producers tried to use Angela and were likely thwarted by Gaiman's lawyers, as they should be, and then tried to fill the hole left by Angela with another character called The Redeemer, an archangel shogun who falls in love with Spawn and dies in his arms. If that sounds trite, try watching Todd McFarlane condescend to you before each episode and have the audacity to tell you to turn out the lights. All right, but how did people feel about the show then and now? They loved it, and they still love it. Three seasons, 18 episodes, and they loved them all. Rotten Tomatoes rates Spawn the Animated Series with an audience score of 91 and a critic score at 78. Rotten Tomatoes ranked Spawn 62nd on its list of top 100 superhero shows, just behind Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. It also ranks number five on IGN's list of the greatest comic book cartoons of all time and 23rd among its top 25 primetime animated series. At a moment when entertainment behemoth Warner Discovery 
is taking beloved series like Westworld off its streaming platform and canceling others like Minx, our work through Spawn during the week of Christmas 2022. On July 5th, 2016, HBO added all three seasons of Spawn to its streaming services. HBO Go, HBO Now, and HBO Max, which will soon become Max, means it's been there for six and a half years as of this sound. Spawn is critically admired as a TV animation step forward because it featured adult content like nudity, graphic violence, and abject horror. Spawn series producer Eric Rodomiski told Pop Geeks, Spawn the Animated Series was a personal triumph for me. Very rarely do artists get the opportunity to have as much uncensored creative freedom as I did at HBO on Spawn. It's interesting because that is the calling card of an HBO show. Unfettered creative access to the great creators of our time. So how did Al Simmons become Spawn, though? He made a deal with the devil, as one does. And like the story around any good Faustian bargain, we get to see that deal play out. After being burnt alive by a colleague, Simmons, a decorated merc and secret serviceman who once saved the president's life, makes a deal with the devil to become the hellspawn if he gets to see his wife Wanda one last time. Man loved his wife enough not just to go to hell for her, but to lead the army of the damned just to see her again. Fellas, try measuring up to that. So yeah, the devil makes this deal, but only five years after Simmons' death, so that Simmons must see his friend Terry married to his wife Wanda and caring for a child they conceived named Cyan. Hey kids, the devil is an asshole. But what's the series really about? Death, where the absence of life is necessary for peace. That's what I get from it. This life and the afterlife are full of pain, sorrow, suffering, and preferable to living as Spawn. I dare say Al Simmons' afterlife as Spawn is even more reason to live as best you can, to stay here as long as you can, which is its appeal to me. Reason to be around tomorrow, to see what happens, to do what is right because it is right, to live. Living this way on some days has not always been easy for me. On those days, I cosplay. What did the most exhaustive HBO history book ever written had to say about Spawn the Animated Series? Question I ask. I picked up my copy of his book, that is Jim Miller's Tinderbox, which acts as a book of record on all things HBO. After sifting through the index looking for terms Spawn, Hellspawn, and Todd McFarlane, I found nothing, nada, zip, zilch. I thought this was odd. So I sent the author of Tinderbox, Jim Miller, an email asking if he included Spawn in his 995-page history of HBO, and if I missed it. He graciously replied to me within the hour, saying he just couldn't fit it into his book, and also that he regretted not including it. His regret leads me to believe there are those fans who thirsted for it and thirst for more. Which begs the question, why hasn't Spawn been rebooted for TV or film? Well, it ain't for lack of trying. Even, you know, gaming stuff aside, the property has endured 
fits and starts that include a fourth season of the animated series, pre-production that included Jamie Foxx looking to play Al Simmons in a live-action movie. But seeing as McFarlane has such a tight grip on his IP, remember his battle with Gaiman, it does not look like any Spawn movie or TV show is getting made without him having a heavy hand in making it, owning it, keeping it. I don't blame him for keeping a kung fu grip on as much of Spawn as he can, nor do, you know, Jerry Siegel or Joe Shuster, who created Superman and never really got paid the billions with a B uh, that they are owed for, you know, creating the alien from Krypton that Spawn, pun, films, TV shows, toys, and spinoffs that include Superboy, Supergirl, Crypto the Superdog, and Beppo the Super Monkey. <laughs> Good God. And it's not like McFarlane needs the money. He is reportedly worth more than $300 million with an M, more than Frank Miller and Stan Lee, combined. And to think, he did all that on the name, image, and likeness of a black man. This, of course, leads me to this question. Why is Spawn black? Hell, McFarland spoke on that. What he essentially said was, look. Spider-Man's uh, dressed from head to toe. Yet we always talked to him, and we always spoke to him, and we always wrote the stories, assuming he was a white dude. Why? He's covered from head to toe. I don't see one ounce of flesh. So Spawn was always clothed from head to toe. I just wanted to make him a hero who just happened to be a minority. And could I sell that to white people? And I had those days where I was at conventions. I'm sitting in Texas, and I got two good old boys in front of me. And they're going, Todd, that's Spawn. He's my favorite hero of all time. And I go, you remember, that's a black man. <gasps> and they catch themselves. Because I took it away so early in the game that they were just like, oh, he's cool. His costume's cool. He does cool stuff. He's kind of heroic. Gone. Yeah, that's right. I tried. I tried. I forgot. And by the way, if, you, if who's Spawn? He's essentially Todd. He's me. To which I say, Ty McFarlane is a 61-year-old white male millionaire from Calgary, Canada, who loves baseball and drawing in his sketchbook. Also Spawn. Would Spawn have been better if McFarlane overtly acknowledged Al Simmons' race in the animated series? Well, in Super Black, American Pop Culture and Black Heroes, Adelufu Nama wrote, McFarlane was either very savvy or very lucky to create a character that would successfully draw on the sadomasochistic fatalism coursing just beneath American pop culture during the late 1980s and into the 1990s. In quote, savvy or lucky? Might sound a bit harsh, but where's the lie? To wit, Frank Miller created the black superhero Martha Washington in a graphic novel called Give Me Liberty. They came out a year before Spawn did. But Martha's comic did not take off for reasons we can name and many we don't want to. It suffices to say, the reason I point to is only a small group of people like me believed Megan the Stallion when she said Tory Lane shot at her. And even with his conviction, many still don't. They don't readily believe or believe in black women here on earth. 
Now, I haven't read all 300 issues of Spawn, but I can't recall a storyline that acknowledges Al Simmons' race in a political or cultural way. While I'd like to see that, I see the argument against it too. Jon Stewart's origin story answers this. For example, in Super Black, Nama wrote about the first black Green Lantern and what occurred after Stewart took over the mantle of Green Lantern from the white Hal Jordan. Quote, Jon Stewart's first mission as a superhero is to protect a white politician who is an overt racial bigot. The politician plans to stoke racial hostilities by having a white police officer killed as a result of a phony attempt on the politician's life by a black gunman. Jon Stewart begrudgingly accepts the assignment to save the races from harm and later foils the nefarious scheme to instigate a race riot. As a result, Stewart gains Hal Jordan's respect and trust. If ever there was an origin narrative that was overdetermined by race, this is truly the one. Rather than having Jon Stewart use his power ring on his first mission to defeat some generic monster alien or save a busload of tourists from plummeting off a broken bridge, he had to protect a comic book version of George Wallace from harm, end quote. I guess Al Simmons as a ranking officer in Hell's Armies fighting racists like Nazis and Klansmen is a little too on the nose, even though there are many, many examples of superheroes doing just that. From Black Panther to Black Lightning to Luke Cage, nearly every major black superhero was created in response to a racial parallel. The most interesting part of Spawn, the animated series, is there are no mocking stereotypes about fearing black masculinity, nor any of the cool shit that makes me proud to be black. This also means Spawn is the first black superhero not born of a racial political narrative paralleling the real world as Jon Stewart and Jefferson Pierce, who is Black Lightning, to Power Man, to the Falcon, you know, in a word, that's called black exploitation. Scholar Jeffrey A. Brown put that together in his book, Black Superheroes, Milestone Comics, and Their Fans, when he wrote, quote, the comic book industry was quick to take its cue from such popular black exploitation films as Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, Shaft, and their numerous imitators, including Superfly, Top of the Heat, The Man, The Mac, and Black Caesar. Publishers were eager to tap into a market segment that they had ignored for far too long. But instead of producing straight black exploitation heroes, the comic publishers melded the superficial conventions of the film genre with the characters they knew best, superheroes. They were hip black heroes with a streetwise agenda. To clear drug dealers, or excuse me, to clear drug dealers out of the ghettos that they defended. Like the films that inspired them, the black exploitation heroes of comic book fans are so well aware of the medium's history, it's been hard for publishers to shrug off the ghost of jive talking black exploitation hero shut your mouth. End quote. The shut your mouth was me added. If you're looking for an example, of black exploitation in comics and Hollywood done right, go read and watch Blade. I mean it. It is objectively good. Now, we had to look to Reginald Hudlin's Black Panther before we come close to shrugging off black exploitation and to Ryan Coogler's Black Panther before we'd see a black character strut. I'm always going to remember T'Challa wa walking and talking to Victor Von Doom in a panel of Black Panther the Client because he shut him down. 
and T'Challa absolutely letting Steve Rogers know he was going to hunt Bucky Barnes down in the back of a car, taking all of them plus Sam Wilson to detainment in Captain America. I love this scene because, A, it introduces Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa in a very real and visceral way in which I understand him. But also, B, because, well, the quote goes hard, man. The Black Panther has been the projector, excuse me, has been the protector of my country for generations. A mantle passed down from warrior to warrior. And now... Because your friend has killed my father, I now wear the mantle of king. So I ask you, Captain Rogers, as warrior and king, how long do you think you can keep him safe from me? Oh my God, I was freaking out. Love that stuff. Love that as much as I'd like to see Eric Killmonger getting it in. That's my homie right there. Because they are speaking to a part of me that is extremely black and understands the weight of such a mantle because there are so few of us. There are more than 300 million people in the United States. 13% of them are black. 7% of them are black and male. We are few, so we must be mighty. To which I turn to Nama again for a little bit of further analysis. Quote, as fantastic image, excuse me, as fantastic, imaginary, and speculative as superheroes are, once they engage real social events that clearly resonate as oppressive and unjust, their actions or inactions become a source of moral scrutiny because the superhero archetype is heavily steeped in affirming a division between right and wrong. Accordingly, superheroes overtly affirm or implicitly signify accepted social discourse and accepted beliefs in our society. He goes on, quote, Black superheroes become that much more captivating as symbolic figures. They signify a type of racial utopia where whites can accept blacks as superhuman, intellectually and physically superior, and benevolent protectors of all humanity. At the end of the day, black superheroes embody a colorblind ethos because they do not exist to protect or save only one racial group from harm. Accordingly, black superheroes are towering models of racial conciliation that personify the colorblind advocacy of the civil rights movement, read Barack Obama. Yet, black superheroes also accept the use of violence as practical means to ensure justice and the viability of their own communities, a position associated with black power. In this sense, Black superheroes are very complex figures, no matter how sketchily the character is constructed, because they symbolize a synthesis of the politics of racial struggle expressed by two distinct movements that are often viewed as ideologically antagonistic, end quote. Again, I looked at Nama. A black superhero is severely limited in crossover appeal. If a black superhero is too black, it makes the character irrelevant to whites. And if the character is not black enough, it appears to invalidate the rationale of a black superhero in the first place. In other words, black superheroes have a very limited audience and require crossover appeal to succeed, which in turn requires a nominally black character. Given that 
equation. Spawn, a very popular character and the first black comic superhero to grace the silver screen, raises a number of issues that demand an extensive analysis. Keeping in line with, you know, Christian Davenport's logic that, well, can't have a, a black character because a black character alienates so many people, it's quite reasonable to view Spawn's tremendous success as a function of his diminished racial identity as a black man. Admittedly, the character is not very racially recognizable. Spawn's face and body are scarred beyond racial recognition, and he is constantly cloaked in his symbiotic Hellspawn regalia from head to toe, end quote. This, in other words, is a form of erasure to make black characters palatable to the majority audience, to which has always been white people. This also means overtly black characters and stories will fail to become commercially viable without a level of erasure, and that sucks. For me, personally, this means I have to be nastier than my demons. Spawn in my professional life. This leads me to the part that my friends often ask to see in my writing where I trade, you know, journalism for criticism because I, I am a critic, but I'm also a classically trained storyteller and critic. And I know I can only be a great storyteller and good at criticism if I am well-read so that I can give an informed response. Hello. I also know I can't assume any person knows what I'm talking about. So I lay it out first and then we proceed to the part that is most fun, but with, you know, the most subjectivity. What I think and feel about the subject I'm exploring. In Spawn, I see myself played out. I work in an industry, sports media, particularly college football, that is mostly white. That I am not white needs to be accounted for if I want to succeed because most of the people I aim to reach are looking for something to have in common with me aside from a love of college football. So I wear button-ups and uh, a tapered bob haircut where I used to wear hoodies and locks. Since I work in a visual medium, I have to be aware that people will hear me before they see me and make a judgment based on what they see. In this way, my appearance does not, or excuse me, it does for me what Spawn's suit and mask does for him. Create a connection at the expense of what makes him an individual I, as a black man, identify strongest with. It's a feeling I encounter often and have never grown accustomed to. So Spawn isn't Black Panther, and he isn't even Luke Cage. So the truth is, the blackest thing about Spawn the Animated Series is Keith David's voice. And the truth about Spawn, the character, is he's just Todd McFarlane, a dude who had nothing to say of consequence, at least to me.